Well, how's everyone doing today? Doing good? Well, you look good. I'm doing great because it is my incredible privilege to share the word with you this morning. And I just want to let you know that I've been studying this passage the last couple weeks, and I think the Lord really has something special for us today. Many of you know one of the many things I love about doing a series where you're just going through the book of the Bible that you've chosen, which in this case is 1 Samuel, is that you end up preaching on things that you wouldn't naturally have like been drawn to or come up with. The Lord takes you to places that you wouldn't naturally go. So bear with me, and we're going to go somewhere a little different today. So the staff and some of our volunteers had a development weekend in March with some of the district leaders of our fellowship. If you're not familiar, we're part of this incredible network of pastors and churches in the B.C., and Yukon and nationwide called the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Anyways, while we were there, it was in Nanaimo, um, one of our next-gen leaders, his name's Alan DeYoung, shared something pretty simple that stood out to me. He said that he thought there was nothing more powerful than someone who knows their gifts and follows their calling by the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing more powerful than someone who knows their gifts and follows their calling by the power of the Holy Spirit. It sounds simple, but it really stuck with me and gave me a vision for what it will look like for all of us to more fully realize who God has called us to be and how he would like us to follow him in each season. So our passage today is 1 Samuel 9 and 11, and we encourage you to be reading 1 Samuel with us. Can you raise your hand if you've been reading 1 Samuel with us or you read it at the beginning of the year? That's awesome. Thank you so much. That really helps us learn together. It's not too late to start reading. We've got lots of time left in 1 Samuel, so you can do that on a Bible app, listen, or read the actual book. It's really interesting, and you'll get a much better sense of the flow, and you'll learn from parts that we won't be able to cover on Sundays. So our title today is Stages of Calling. We're going to talk about how Saul, the first king of Israel, begins well. At the same time, while we want to talk about different stages in our own journey of calling. That sounds a bit vague even to me, but bear with me and I hope to flesh it out and I think it'll become more concrete. God guides us in our direction and our calling. It's often gradual with more clarity coming at different stages. And keep in mind, calling is as much about who we are as what we do, what job we have. It's not just talking about whether your job is a farmer or a fence builder or a firefighter, but whether whatever your job is and whoever you're called to be, there are some experiences you might have on your journey of discovery. And here's one experience you might have or you might have had in your discovery of your calling, and that's called a private anointing. This is something often between you and God or maybe you and one other godly person. It could be as dramatic as someone prophesying over you in a church service or as quiet as a light bulb moment that you might have in the middle of one of your days. So I had kind of a slow journey of thinking about teaching as a profession. This is something I sort of meandered into, had a lot of experience with kids. I tried an elementary education program. It didn't really work for me and eventually spent about five years working towards teaching as a profession, teaching in a university setting. And I even did it for two years and I loved it. We came here to Canada. I went to Regent College with the clear idea of teaching at a Christian university. And one day in class, I had this moment of clarity 
from God. It wasn't anything the professor was saying. It was just a realization. And I realized this. I realized that I loved church. In fact, I loved the local expression of church more than many of the people around me. And that's not to say I was better than anyone, but I had more passion about its purpose. I had more appreciation for its gifts and more forgiveness for its failures. And there was just this moment between me and God where he was almost like saying, maybe someone who loves the church this much should be working in the church. And that was it. And that was a bit of a definition moment for me. It was a private anointing. And of course, here I am. So a solid experience is a private anointing, complete with oil in this case. So Saul, we don't know too much about him at the beginning, except that he's a pretty ordinary guy, although it does mention that he is tall and handsome. So he's not necessarily the brightest, though. We meet him as he and his servant are hunting for his father's lost donkeys. They look in a number of towns and throughout the territory of Benjamin, but they don't find them. Saul is ready to give up, as he often is in different points of his life, but his servant knows that they're near the town where Samuel lives and suggests that if they go talk to the prophet, they'll get wisdom from God on how to find these donkeys. So Saul comes to Samuel, and while he's talking to him, the Lord tells Samuel, hey, this is the man I spoke to you about. He's the one who's going to govern my people. Saul doesn't recognize Samuel when he sees him. In fact, we're not even sure if Saul has ever even heard of Samuel, this very important leader of Israel. But Samuel, who's in close communication with God, recognizes Saul. He kindly answers Saul's question first about the donkeys, but then spends time with him, spends a day with him, spends an evening, and declares to him, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? With no one else present, not even the servant, Samuel pours a flask of oil on Saul's head and sends him on his way and just says, wait, we're going to meet again. If you read this passage, you'll see there are a number of different coincidences that look like coincidences anyways to bring about this private but life-changing and inevitably country-changing moment. So sometimes we experience this kind of private anointing, a quiet moment with God that changes our direction. But another step that we might experience on our journey of calling is a spiritual experience that brings transformation. So for Saul, it was this wild day when he ran into a group of prophets, and while he's beside them, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he begins prophesying to the extent that the people who know him are like, is this even the same person? They're surprised at the change in his heart and his behavior. And in fact, the same chapter says that God was changing Saul into a new person. We might have these same kinds of experiences on our journey. It's often a time of intense prayer or worship. It might be home. It might be at this altar. I've had times where God literally changed something in me spiritually, like taking away a desire or giving me a new one, freeing me from a hurt or a sin, or helping me surrender, as Joseph was talking about, an area of my life I was holding on to. For some people, it's a physical healing in that spiritual experience or healing from addiction or the birth of a dream for something that's on God's heart. We should expect and seek these kinds of spiritual milestones. They show up in a lot of places in Scripture. It's one of the ways that God changes us and makes us ready for what he's calling us to in our lives. Scripture often uses the metaphor of God as the potter 
and we are the clay that he is forming. So we can pray, mold me and make me God according to your purposes. I hold nothing back. And he loves to do that. He loves to work in our lives. Another stage we might see on our journey, which is something that we see in Saul's life, is public selection. This is the moment when the people around you recognize your giftings and suitabilities for a specific role. Keep in mind that this role is not, like I said before, it's not all of what it means to be called by God. Even if you're a teacher by profession, your calling might include being a daughter and a mother, a good neighbor and a blessing to your city. But our profession takes up a lot of our lives, and often this is where we see some of this public selection or confirmation. So I'll give you some examples. This might take the form of being accepted to a program where there were a lot of applicants and only a few got in, or receiving a competitive job offer. Maybe your talents are recognized in the fact that you are named to a board or requested or invited to join a group or even invited to join a ministry here at church. Saul is confirmed by an assembly of the people. So he has this private experience with Samuel. But then the Israelites use this method. They don't vote democratically. They use this method of casting lots to determine God's will. So in Samuel, 1 Samuel 10.20, it says, When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. Then, out of the 12 tribes, he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. So they're narrowing down to him. And this part is hilarious, actually. When they looked for him, he was nowhere to be found. He's experiencing some sort of anxiety or fear about this role. And Eugene Peterson, who's so good at finding the humor in Scripture, points out, this is hilarious, they are forced to pray to God to help them find the king that they have just chosen against God's will. And God helps them. He's so merciful. God shows them that Saul has literally hidden himself. And he's a tall guy, so is he like crouching down? He's hidden himself among the supplies. One version says the suitcases. I don't think they had suitcases, but you get the idea. They have all their stuff, and Saul is hiding. So they drag him out, and Samuel proclaims him as God's chosen leader, and the people confirm their support by shouting, long live the king. You might think this is the end of Saul's journey of his calling, but it's actually just beginning. For him, the next stage is validating with his actions that he's the right leader for the job. And this will resonate thoroughly with some of you. So maybe you've had an experience like Saul where you were put in a position or you got a job or something like that. You were placed in a role and you found when you got into that role that people were really questioning, maybe loudly, maybe quietly, maybe there were rumblings, whether you were really qualified for it. Maybe there was someone else who's up for the position. And when you started to take action and make leadership decisions, the people breathed a huge sigh of relief and finally realized that you were the right person for that position. So Joseph's going to come up, thank you, Joseph, and read for us what happens, two things basically that happened right after Samuel selects Saul as Israel's king. This is his leadership confirmation. I thought you were saying we would be speaking of tall and handsome, but we're married, by the way. Yes. Okay. Sorry, didn't mean to take away here from 
the reading of God's word. So Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some troublemakers said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all of Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen, and he asked, What is wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they turned out as one man. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, Say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, By the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be delivered. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, Tomorrow we will surrender to you, and you can do to us whatever seems good to you. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. The people then said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall, shall Saul reign over us? Bring these men to us, and we will put them to death. But Saul said, no one shall be put to death today, for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. I love this story of leadership confirmation. So let's look first, and this is 1 Samuel 10, 26, I think, at Saul's first decision as a leader. Mary Evans, one commentator, points out that his first decision is to do nothing is to do nothing. Silence in the face of opposition and mockery. In most situations, when you or I are maligned, being defensive makes things worse. Of course it's unfair when you're dragged through the dirt, but please don't stoop to the level of the people who are doing that to you, and please do not defend yourself on social media. Let God defend you. There are times occasionally to speak up for yourself, but a lot of times the best plan is to be like Joseph in the Bible. If you haven't read that story, I encourage you to read that story. To spend your energy on keeping your head down and working hard at whatever it is that God has called you to do. To prove yourself by your continual faithfulness and dependence on God. So look at Saul at the end of the passage. This comes up again. People remind him of these people who had said, should Saul really be our king? After his victory over the Ammonites, he's in a position of greater power and influence, but he again 
declines to take revenge on those who had opposed him or even say, I told you so, or humiliate them in any way. So far, he's not like the other kings of the nations around him. And I find it really admirable, his decision in this situation. So I say, let's imitate Saul as much as he imitates Christ. Christ was like a sheep before its shearers, was silent, and did not open his mouth. And he was the most innocent of all of us. He did not open his mouth to defend himself. Saul's second decision also serves to confirm his leadership. And this is a decision of action. So he learns of this town that's being oppressed by the Ammonites. And the king Nahash, he didn't just want the people. He didn't just want the land. He wanted dominance. He wanted to bring disgrace on all of Israel. And there's a demonic aspect to this kind of control that shows up in our lives sometimes. It's not a person. It's a spiritual entity. The people had given up and they had surrendered. But he really wanted to grind them into the ground. Nahash wanted the people of this town to be missing eyes, to be faced with this visible reminder of his violence and his control. Honestly, his cruelty is typical of other ancient Near Eastern kings, by the way. And Israel has said they want a king like the other nations. I don't think they know what they're asking for. So what's Saul going to do? He has not done anything so far since being found hidden among the supplies. And apparently right now he's plowing his fields. But the spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And usually in scripture, spirit empowerment leads to come some sort of language or speaking in tongues or inspired speech. But in this case, the spirit of the Lord fills Saul with God's righteous anger. You know as well as I do that the scripture gives many warnings about being prone to anger or sinning out of anger. But it must be noted that sometimes anger is righteous, especially on other people's behalf. Keep that in mind, especially on other people's behalf. Sometimes God's calling is to combat injustice. And this is more amazing considering we, we have seen that Saul has previously been indecisive and he's been afraid. In fact, I didn't mention this earlier, but when Samuel, after Samuel anoints Saul, Saul's uncle, who's apparently familiar with Samuel and him being a prophet, he says, hey, what did Samuel say to you? And Saul says, uh, uh, he said, the donkeys had been found. Like he doesn't even have the confidence to share with his uncle what has happened and how he has been chosen for this role. But now we see that God is giving Saul everything he needs to be the, Israel that, to be the leader that Israel needs. And the people see it too. So he's filled by the Holy Spirit to gather the people as one man that came together to fight this battle and rescue this town. And he's successful, and he gives credit to God. The Israelites have another ceremony after this victory that officially confirms Saul and his role, and there's a great celebration, as there should be. So leadership confirmation is another milestone we may experience, we may have experienced in our journey of following God on our paths of righteousness. It might be job-related, as I've already mentioned, but it might not be. It might be your children rising up and calling you blessed. It might be your coworker saying to you, you know, you're the only friend who actually listens to me. It might be your neighbor saying, there is no way I could have built that shed without your help. Could be your aging father saying, I'm so glad you're the one caring for me. 
So, brothers and sisters, when these confirmations come, don't let them pass by. Don't sort of ignore them out of a sense of false humility. Mark them. Celebrate them. Let them affirm you and strengthen you for what lies ahead. Because the Lord has a great calling for each of us. Some of you, you've already experienced so much of that adventure. Some of you are just starting. But whatever, wherever you're at in your life, you're not done. The Lord has more for you, more adventures, more things that he's called you to do and ways to use your gifts. So I hope that during our time today, God has helped you to understand Saul's beginning and to see your own life in a different light. And remember that these stages of calling are things to look for, things to keep your eyes on, whether in your past or your future. You might not experience all of them. You won't experience them in order. But it's good to be looking out for what God is doing in our lives, for the milestones, for the direction, for his hand, for the coincidences that aren't really coincidences because the Lord is calling and guiding us. So to finish, we're going to have some time for prayer if you're interested. So I'd love the teams to come up right now, and there might be one in the back as well. If you would like prayer specifically for direction or wisdom or you have a decision that you need to make, really for anything at all, but especially if it's something like that, would you come up for prayer and make that time, even wait in line if you have to, to be prayed for by brothers and sisters who care about you and who will bring their faith together to the Lord to believe that he has a plan for you. Um, but I would like to just pray over you, so would you stand? I'll pray over all of us, and then uh, after I dismiss you, if you want to stay for prayer, that's good too. So, Lord, we thank you for the privilege that you have not just called us our, uh, your children, but you have also called us into your plan for our lives. And, Lord, sometimes that plan is complicated. Sometimes we veer off the path and eventually come back on. But you're always leading us, and you always have your mercy and your eye on us. Lord, we thank you for those who are at the beginning of their journey. Maybe they have just started to follow Jesus. And we ask that they would begin well that they would recognize, they would not waste the gifts and talents that you've given them. They would step forward in ways that other people don't step forward. They would listen to your voice, Lord, in Jesus' name. But Lord, we recognize that Saul began well and ended terribly. He really went downhill. It was tragic, Lord, and we know that, that was because his heart lacked surrender. So, Lord, we ask that wherever we're at in our journey, you would keep our hearts soft toward you, that we would never think we can do it on our own, that we would never try to do things our own way or take things into our own hands. Lord, we repent of those attitudes and say, at every point in our journey, Lord, we are always dependent on you. Lord, I pray for those who perhaps have not begun well, perhaps have had a bad experience of life and maybe have not used their callings well. Lord, I think of Saul of Tarsus who became Paul. Lord, he did not begin well, but he sure finished well because he leaned on you. Lord, when he recognized you, he followed you wholeheartedly. So I ask that you would give us that same passion, that same faith, that same endurance. Lord, we believe that you who have begun a good work in us We'll be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen.